0: Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is found on page 1114 of the Pew Bible. And yeah, as Rich says, we're going to continue in our series looking at the Beatitudes. I know at least one of you is memorizing these Beatitudes, and I encourage you, there's still time for the rest of you, you can catch up and memorize Uh, these uh, beatitudes, these kingdom values. And um, I don't know what incentive I can give you. Maybe Mrs. Burton might give you a lollipop or something. So let's listen to God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Have you ever had to tell your children to look with your eyes and not with your hands? So you're in a store or you're in a museum and they just want to touch things. They want to feel them. They want to get familiar with them. And so you have to remind them just to look and not touch Well, in our beatitude, we are called to see God, not with our hands, not with our eyes, but with our heart. And each one of us we see has a heart problem, and this problem impairs our ability to see God. And so I want you to notice that to see God, you need a new heart, a heart that's not divided, but one that is pure, And only Christ gives you this new heart. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture of a divided heart and a picture of a pure heart. And I want you to tell me the difference between these two hearts. So firstly, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Now, Last week I described how the first four Beatitudes are about our relationship with God. And then the next four are about our relationship with the world. And we certainly see this in the sixth beatitude. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes beatitudes in this way. He says to picture these verses as a mountain. The first three beatitudes, we make ourselves low. We realize our need. And it's the Lord who carries us up the mountain. So we realize that we're poor in spirit, that we mourn. Uh, We make ourselves meek. And when we're at the top of the mountain, God meets our need. He satisfies our hunger and thirst with righteousness. And then going down the mountain, we see the results of being filled. We find ourselves merciful to those around us. We desire our hearts to be pure and not distracted by this world. And we become peacemakers with those around us. So let's think what it means to have a pure heart in this world. Now the heart is referring to who you are. It's the real you. It's the seat of your personality. Now often when we think of the heart, we think of our emotions. Sometimes in cartoons, you see the character's heart physically jumping out of their body uh, because they're now in love or they're now infatuated with someone. We see lots of hearts on Valentine's Day. It's a symbol of love. But in the Bible, the heart is more than emotions. It includes our minds, our will, our desires, our strength. We think of Mary pondering all these things in her heart. Or before the flood, we read that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts were that of evil. And so here we read it the heart is where thoughts originate. It's our thinking. We also hear people say, my heart wasn't in it. It speaks of their motivations, their desires, their will. And so the heart describes your interests or your lack of interests. And so the heart, therefore, is much more than emotions. Rather, it is your personhood. It's what makes you you. It's the command center for who you are. So over the Thanksgiving break, we visited NASA in Houston and that's the command center for the NASA operations. The rockets themselves, they're launched off Cape Canaveral in Florida, but Houston is where it's all controlled from. And likewise, our hearts, they are the command center for your personhood. And in this beatitude for you to know blessing, we see that you are to have a pure heart. Now often when we think of purity, we think of sexual purity. And while that is an aspect of it, this beatitude is not simply about sexual purity. Purity of heart is instead speaking of your heart not being mixed with anything. It is pure. It's not tainted by this world. It's not compromised by this world. it does not go after the world's values. It does not set up idols to worship, but it remains fully committed to God. This beatitude, therefore, is speaking of the blessing of having a pure heart. And that's because God is concerned with your hearts. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And those with pure hearts, they will know God's blessing. Do good rights, blessed are the uncompromised. Those whose hearts are filled with purity. Well, secondly, you need to realize that you have a heart problem. Who here can admit to having a pure heart? Who here is single-minded, completely devoted to God, not to any idols? Well, the truth is, our hearts are mixed. I was listening to Colin Elliott's podcast, and he was describing the reign of the notorious Emperor Nero. And one of the many ways Nero sought to exploit the empire was to mix the contents of the silver coins, the currency of the Roman Empire. He added more copper to these silver coins and yet continued to coat it with silver. And so he he was seeking to physically produce more money. But when it was found out, the coins soon lost their value. They no longer were worth what they once were. And so he ended up compromising the currency of the Roman Empire, which was a necessary foundation for trade and commerce. And that's what's happening also in our hearts. Our hearts are being mixed. We are conforming to this world. We are being influenced by the world around us. Whether that's by the media that we consume, classes we take at university, the friends that we hang out with, we are being influenced children and teenagers especially, you must recognize this. Do you find yourself going after what your friends are into? Now not all influences are necessarily bad but you do need to see how you are being influenced. We need to keep in check how we're being influenced by this world because a wrong influence is dangerous. If you are easily influenced it leads to what James describes as the double-minded man. James speaks of this in James 1 verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. John Bunyan had a character in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, who fits this description, Mr. Facing Both Ways. He has one eye in on heaven, one eye on earth. He wants both this world and God. But you can't do that. Children, just try and do it. And you'll find that it is impossible to look both ways at the same time. And so to be in this position, it is to be in an impossible position. But that is what we're trying to do when we want both the world and we're wanting God. Our hearts are divided. And this creates a problem. For you to know blessing, you are to have a pure heart. We sang Psalm 24 before the sermon. In the psalm, we read that only the man with clean hands and a pure heart can enter God's presence. Only those with a pure heart can see God. And so we're in a dilemma. Your hearts are divided. They're not pure. And as much as you want God, you are distracted by this world. And the result is you cannot see God. Do you recognize this problem? Martin Lloyd-Jones says the one way to have a pure heart is to realize that you have an impure heart. You need to see the problem before you seek a solution. This time of year, with all the salt on the roads, our windshields get really dirty. It happens gradually that we don't even notice. and We can be driving around with our view off the road impaired because of all the dirt. We're not aware of it. And it's only when we wash our windscreen do we realize just how dirty they are, and then how much clearer our vision is as a result of them being clean. Well, often our view of God is through this dirty windshield. We don't see him clearly because of our impure hearts. But while you can wash your windshield clean, you can't wash your hearts. The Pharisees tried this. They had lots of rules to keep themselves from being contaminated by the world around them. And yet, we saw their jealousy and their envy that they had because of Jesus Christ. And that proved their hearts were not pure. Like the Pharisees, we try to live moral lives. Jordan Peterson, is having, this Canadian psychologist, is having a huge influence in the world by teaching a form of morality Make your beds every morning and many other rules. And yet, as helpful as that is, it doesn't get to the underlying problem of our hearts. It doesn't stop us from wanting the wickedness of this world. And that's because our hearts are inclined to wickedness. Even the good that we seek to do is marked with sin. Castaldo writes, Our sinful heart is a black hole, that draws into its vortex our most admirable attempts at purity, a gravity that drags us away from God into deeper levels of darkness. No wonder Jesus said in Mark 7, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Your hearts are not pure, they are sinful, and they want the world rather than wanting God. Well, thirdly, the solution you need is that of a new heart. So, what can solve the heart problem that you have? Now, medicine these days can do amazing things, especially in regards to the heart. They can put stints in to remove blockages, to widen arteries, they can replace valves, they can even give heart transplants where you get a new heart. But it is impossible for medicine to solve the spiritual problem of our divided and sinful hearts. Remember when Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man enter the kingdom of God and the disciples responded by being astonished and they wondered well then who can be saved and Jesus said with men it is impossible but not with God for with God all things are possible and so God can do the impossible he can remove the problem of our divided hearts by giving us a new heart earlier we considered psalm 24 While none of us fit the description of Psalm 24, which speaks of a man with clean hands and a pure heart, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he fulfills this Psalm. His hands are clean, his heart is pure. He is the one who can approach God. But he approaches God not just for himself, but also for his people. He is our great high priest. In the Old Testament, we read of the high priests coming before God, representing the people. But even for these high priests to do this, they were involved in various ceremonial washings and cleansings to make themselves ritually pure to come before God. But what these men were doing was only pointing forward to the work that Christ, our great high priest, would do for us. He would deal with our divided And our sinful hearts by taking its punishment by dying on the cross. But he would give us new life. He would give us new hearts. And so radically change us from death to life, from darkness to light. And this was prophesied about in Ezekiel 36. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. God therefore has removed our divided hearts He's given us new hearts, hearts that are focused on him. And so as a result, hearts that can now see God as we see in this beatitude. Jesus speaks of this in John 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So this is the hope that we now have. Christ has made us pure in heart, so we now have eyes of faith to see Christ as our Savior. Well, fourthly, in Christ you are to live in purity. Now, this is a searching beatitude because while we can now behold the glory of God, our view of God is often diminished. Our vision is often clouded. And the reason for this is because we have the wrong priorities in life. So God has given you a new heart, in him there is life, and so he should be your priority. But rather than us making God our priority in life, we often make the world our priority. So what is it that you find in this world that makes it so appealing? Is it the happiness that it offers the experiences that you enjoy, the meaning or purpose that you gain here. But all of these are superficial. All of these are temporary. Ferguson writes, we see that this world has nothing to compare to Jesus Christ and all that he offers to us. But when we hold this world and its contents too near, we no longer see Christ and his glory so clearly. The value of this world grows out of proportion. That's the problem. The world is distracting us from God. Instead, you should be able to see the world and yet also see that God offers you something much greater. Moses was able to do this. When he chose to leave Egypt and leave the palace and serve God by leading his people into the promised land, the writer of the Hebrews mentions this in Hebrews 11, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked to the reward and so do you esteem Christ as more valuable than all the riches that this world has to offer that's not easy David uh, prays about this in Psalm 86 teach me your way O Lord I will walk in your truth unite my heart to fear your name or in NIV give me an undivided heart to fear your name. Wake up each morning and pray this prayer that you would not be distracted by this world. This beatitude teaches us that you have to monitor what it is that you are consuming. In 1 John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So you've been given this new heart. You have hope. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by this world. You are to be active. You are to purify yourselves from the distractions of this world and instead keep your focus on him. Well, finally, you're to see God and look forward to seeing him perfectly. Helen Keller was famous for being blind. Not only was she blind, but she was deaf too. However, she did not allow her disabilities to hold her back. And as a result, she became known as the symbol of courage. She was the first blind and deaf woman to graduate from college. She became a world-famous speaker, an author, a politician. She traveled the world, visiting 39 countries. She met every US president from 1897 to 1963. And she was once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? And her answer, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. You have a view of God, but do you see him? God is visible to us. He's visible to us in his creation. Often we are left speechless as we behold the beauty of creation and we magnify him in response. But it's easy to get so familiar with it. Or we get focused on where is the gift shop or where the bathrooms are. We don't see God all around us. We see God in the circumstances in our life. We can see him ordering our steps, working out everything for our good. Do you recognize that God is at work in your life? Do you see him in all the ups and downs of your life? Or do you say it's simply a coincidence but where we see God most clearly is in His Word, and this is where He reveals Himself to us. William Grimshaw was a minister of Hayworth in the 18th century. Hayworth, uh, maybe is more familiar to you uh, for its later pastor, Patrick Bronte, father of the Bronte sisters. But William Grimshaw, he was known known for being uh, for his nickname, the flogging preacher how he rounded up patrons from the local pub to go to his church. That's an idea for Rich to try. Um, But after William converted, uh, during his own ministry, he found the Bible as almost as if it was a new book. Up to this time, he had known its contents, but now he knew its power. And he told a friend that it is as if God had drawn up his Bible to heaven and sent him down another It could not have been newer to him. And isn't that true in your own experience? But God's word has now become alive to you. For in God's word, we encounter the living God. We come face to face with him. And in doing so, you're being transformed. Dodson writes, Scripture doesn't just give us information about God. It mediates the presence of God. And since God is the highest of all, the most joyous experience is to see God. And so through his word, we see God. And it has an effect on us. Just as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 3, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you behold this vision of Christ, in God's word, you see the glory and the majesty of God, and it has an impact in your life. But as Paul says, we are seeing him in a mirror, or in the, the old King James through a glass darkly. Albeit we don't see God perfectly, we do see something of God and of his majesty Back to the example of Moses, his vision of God enabled him to make a stand in Egypt. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured a seeing him who is invisible. Moses saw him who is invisible. Do you also have eyes of faith to see him who is invisible? Do you see Christ as your Lord and Savior, the word of life, in whom you have salvation? He is the one sanctifying us into his own image. Well, one day you will, for he will be unveiled for you to see. When Cristiano Ronaldo was bought by Real Madrid back in 2009, 80,000 people turned up for his unveiling wasn't even to see him play it was just simply for his unveiling as the newest player of this team well when Christ is unveiled when he returns to this earth in all his glory we will see God there'll be no more filter no more mirror there'll be like in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked with God and enjoyed being in his presence you and I will see God and enjoy being in his presence no longer will this world distract us. We will be completely pure, for we will be transformed into his likeness. This is a blessing for those who are pure in heart. This is a blessing that you will know. Scrivener writes, In your struggle with purity, remember, in Christ you are declared pure. Unclean sinner, lo you are. You are brought by your great high priest, the Father, to feast your eyes on him. Forget the garish trinkets of this world, the cheap imitations of glory, those waterless mirages, those counterfeit joys. Look again to the source. In 1 John 3, we read, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, to see God, you need a heart that is not divided, but one that is pure. And only Christ gives us this pure heart, this new heart to see God. John Bunyan's sequel to The Pilgrim's Progress is simply known as Pilgrim's Progress 2. Uh, maybe we'll get a, a Sunday School class on this later. But the sequel is about Christian's wife and family who leave the City of Destruction and they also go to the Celestial City. But at the end of the book, we read of this character called Mr. Stanfast, and he's standing on the banks of the River of Death, this dreaded river that surrounds the Celestial City, a river that was deeper or shallower depending on the faith of the one crossing it. And we read of his words, the water indeed are to the palate bitter and to the stomach cold, yet the thoughts of what I'm going to and the convoy that waits for me on the other side do lie as a glowing coal at my heart. I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. I am going to see that head which was crowned with thorns and that face which was spit upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken of, and wherever I have seen the print of his shoe in the earth, there I have coveted to set my foot too. His name has been to me as a civet box, yea, sweeter than all perfumes, His voice to me has been most sweet. His countenance I have more desired than they that have most desired the light of the sun. His words I did use to gather for my food and for antidotes against my faintings. He hath held me and hath kept me from mine iniquities. Yea, my steps hath he strengthened in his way. Bunyan concludes, Now while he thus was in discourse, His countenance changed. His strong man bowed under him. And after he had said, Take me, for I come unto thee, he ceased to be seen of them. This man, pure in heart, finally got to see God in all of his perfections. And you too need a heart that's not divided, one that is pure. Only Christ will give you this new heart. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, that in your word you reveal to us who we are. That we have this heart problem. That our hearts are not clean. They're not pure. Instead, they are dead. They are divided. And so we thank you that in you that you make us alive. We thank you for your grace that transforms us and brings us out of the darkness. Help us, Lord, not to have divided hearts. But hearts that are focused on you. That we would no longer be distracted by this world. Instead, that you would continue to transform us and purify us. So we would look forward to seeing you, not simply in faith, but in completion. When Christ takes us into your presence, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm books to Psalm 84b. 84b, this psalm speaks of the excitement. And the anticipation of going to Zion and coming before the face of God. And here we will see God and we will know his blessing. So let's stand and praise God with the-